0: Another team top prospect list, and it's perfect timing because we actually had a trade within this farm system. It's the call-up. We are talking Los Angeles Dodgers top prospects for 2024. I'm RM Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And Jack, we're going to talk about Trey Sweeney because he is in the top 15 uh, of our top 15 prospect list, which is, of course, linked in the episode description. But it was perfect timing as we were working and finalizing this this Dodgers top prospect list that – uh, we got to talk about a trade that just happened, and I didn't really have to change much because you had Yorvit Vivas going the other way. Uh, of course, also a reliever in Gonzalez that uh, will slot into the Yankees bullpen and probably a middle relief role, but we don't care about that on the call-up. Once you, once you become a big leaguer, we don't care. We're going to talk about Vivas and Trey Sweeney, and I think that was an interesting swap.
1: Yeah. I'd say once you exceed rookie limits is when we stop caring Um,
0: (laughs) because there's like a little bit of a latch on. And then once like the
1: award comes, I think opening day next year is the first time I'm not going to care about Corbin
0: Carroll. Does that make sense? Until we go to the just baseball show and then we care about Corbin Carroll. And then it's like, oh my God, he's awesome. But
1: on this show, it's like a Corbin who? I'm I'm here now. I'm on Tim Corbin. I'm not on Corbin (laughs) Carroll. But um, yeah, man, I I thought that was interesting and, and you probably didn't even have to change the positioning because you've no. got Sweeney in the 11 to 15 range. And I think the exact spot that Sweeney is in, you probably had Yorbit Vivas.
0: Very close. Like it, it was pretty much would have been like in the last minute, give or take one or one spot here or there. I feel like the industry leans Vivas I, for the most part. And I get that because you have the hit tool. He's younger. Um, there's aspects to to his game that I think people are you know can easily back, but I look at Sweeney, and I just I see a more safe big league profile. As crazy as that sounds, because the bat to ball is still good. Again, we're going to talk about him, but I thought it was actually a great move for the Dodgers because yes, you give up the perceived better prospect to clear up those two forty man spots. Generally, when you have the roster crunch leveraged against you, you're going to end up giving up a little bit more talent than you bring in because. You don't have the leverage, right? You're the one trying to clear a roster spot. I thought in this instance, the Dodgers probably knew that, hey, Vivas might not be quite as good as you know maybe the industry thinks. I mean, his average exit velocity was like 82.8. That's multiple ticks below the lowest in the big leagues among any qualified hitter. Uh, the, the 90th percentile was like 100. He's limited to second base. Like, There's a lot of things where it's like, okay, he needs to be as proficient of a hitter as possible and then also walk to probably be an everyday big leaguer. It's a longer and more difficult path, I think, for a guy like Vivas than a Sweeney who could do a little bit of everything and then be a bulk platoon guy. End of the day, I don't think either team is going to look back on this trade in five years and and really say much of anything, but it'll lead us into the top 15 once we get through the names to watch. Again, you can check out the uh, entire write-ups and everything you need to know about all of these guys that we might not even get to in the podcast in the episode description as we continue to hammer through all of our team top prospect lists. We got one more before the NL West is taken care of. And we also have a master document on the prospect vertical of just baseball.com where you can see all the team top prospect lists as they come out hyperlinked in there. So for those watching on YouTube, Jack, let's jump right in and share the screen here where we can take you through each of the names to watch. And you always help kind of Sift through all of the different names and the names to watch. And you know, I kind of want to just let you go this time, talk about each of these guys, and then I'll fill in anything from like a data perspective or anything from maybe just another angle that I might have beyond what you know you you're able to give us on each of these guys. Because I think a lot of them in the names to watch are names that we've, you know. Been watching for a little bit now. Uh, This is obviously when it's the Dodgers system, the names to watch are always a little bit more fun than a lot of the other names to watch.
1: hundred percent. I think this is the deepest system in baseball year over year. I think that Cleveland at some point in 2022 probably held that title when there was a ton more prospect intrigue for a George Valera and a young Kent Noel. I, I think those guys helped with the depth in Cleveland, but year over year, the Dodgers are always the safety blanket when it comes to deepest system in baseball. It's oh, you want a breakout prospect? Go grab the guy that had an 890 OPS in low a Rancho. Like that's yeah. just gonna work, and that is the Dodgers. So yeah, running through these guys, it's fun. It's like. The training wheels are coming off. And now I'm I'm doing it. And then you'll fill in the pieces <laughs> after. Um, starting at the bottom, working up teleprompter-esque. Jose Ramos, an outfielder in double-A, Ramos had a lot of prospect intrigue. And I think Ramos was probably making some team top tens at a certain point. Um, he had an amazing season at the complex in 2021. That's probably when he was starting to make these lists. But as he climbs levels, his offensive production has gone down a little bit. And this was a guy that was fast twitch and overall speedy and seemed like you could dream on power. Now the power is starting to fill in, but everything else is tapering down and nobody knows if he's going to hit enough. Yeah. Ronan cop, lefty, tons of reliever risk, but he throws a hundred. He's six seven two fifty. It's a two pitch mix, but the two pitches are crazy. I think it's a career. What like six and a half walks per nine. I've got it in there. 6.2 walks per nine, Yeah, but it's a career 14 and a half punch outs per nine. So I think you're signing up for the roller coaster that is running. cop the future closer if he can figure out a little bit more of the strike throwing thing. Other flip, Landon Knack, 26 years old, but Knack just logged a mid two ZRA in 100 innings and two hitter friendly environments in double A AA and triple A. Knack is interesting because all the other guys that were looped into that Tulsa rotation, whether it was Frasso, Hurt, Sheehan, Nestrini at the beginning of the year, like all those guys, you could, you know, bunch River Ryan in there. Um, Knack was the more pitchability one of the group, and he was the crafty one of the group. And unfortunately, crafty and prospect pedigree are not really a thing. Hyun Suk Jung has yet to throw a professional pitch, but the right-hander was going to go number one overall in the KBO draft. There's no data that you can find. There's no stats that I can look at. All I can do is read articles. And it seems like this cat is 6'4". He throws 100. He sits in the mid-90s. It's a high spin, high carry pitch. And he can rip off sliders and curveballs. I'm fascinated by those guys. And I heard great things about Jun Suk Shim, who was the top Korean signee in 2022. Yeah, the Pirates. So I've seen that these two are very similar. If Shim is that good, John might be that good too. So that's where I'm at.
0: I, that's the reference point. And I have seen some shim um, big just with limited, limited video, too. But we were able to get a little bit of him since he's thrown at the complex a little bit. And he's been out and about a bit more. And if these guys are comparable, then then John's going to be pretty fun to watch. And if the anytime the Dodgers shell out a million dollars or close to it, 900K here, y- you got to pay attention. A hundred percent. Three more
1: guys. Jake Gelof, younger brother, Zach Geloff was amazing at Virginia and Virginia has a ton of excellent bats come through excellent arms too. But this was kind of hard for me to read. Like I, I had no idea that he was this good at mm-hmm. UVA, but he set the single season RBI record with 81 as a sophomore. And then he bested it with 90 in 65 games as a junior this past year. And he was still a second round pick. I was thinking he was going to go like 25th or something but instead he falls into the 30s or 40s uh, and he goes it's it's bat dependent there may not be a certain defensive home for him he may just move over to first base but I the stick talked man at yeah. at UVA uh, Austin Gauthier I want to say it is Goth Gothier Gothier um utility guy second third short left and right Walked over 100 times, had a 435 OBP. So sign me up for that. He's 24 years old, and he made his way to A. And then Yainer Fernandez is an interesting one, 21 years old, kind of doing the Andy Rodriguez thing where he split his time between catcher and second base. Um, that might not mean he can play second base, but that does mean that he is a talented and athletic catcher, and he is kind of cut from that Gabby Moreno cloth where it's hit tool above all, and you hope the athleticism turns into more.
0: Yeah, so I got to see a little bit more Fernandez. I'll kind of work backwards Uh, in the AFL. It seemed like either he was particularly in the AFL to work on his infield defense, or that was maybe some insight into what the plan is. You've seen action at short seen action at second, and it might just be because of their organizational situation as well. I'm not sure. I didn't get to see him catch much. So now I'm even more curious you know, to dive a bit more deeply into his catching ability. But such a good athlete, if he can catch a little bit here and there, too, can play all over the infield. It's a really interesting profile, to your point. Uh, with Geloff, it, it was surprising like when you see the production that he did fall the way he did. And I think ultimately the Dodgers just felt like it's just such a good value pick at that point. But if you look at the swing, there's some swing and miss concerns kind of going up against more challenging competition. And even breaking balls gave him some trouble against better competition in college. He crushes fastballs. He does not miss hangers. And he could end up being that kind of mistake hitting corner guy. But as you alluded to, the lack of home kind of makes it a little bit more difficult to get behind that profile. Knack, I think Knack, you know, we usually don't do the names to watch in any particular order. Would you say it's fair to say knack just but based on what he did and the floor and the pitchability that he's probably prospect number 16 yes. out of all of these names to watch?
1: Yeah, yeah right? I think so. I, I think the other one that has a case right now is cop because cop has been really good. Like all of the run prevention numbers are excellent. He has yet to have a professional season without a sub three ERA, but you look at Cop and you can look at the baseball reference page, you can watch this guy throw and it just yeah. screams reliever. Knack screams
0: starter. Yeah, exactly. And, and innings eater. And then yeah, with cop, you could have a high leverage reliever. It's mid nineties fastball. You mentioned forts or triple digits and the slider is just disgusting. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't really about anybody hitting him opponents at a buck 75 against him last year. It's just Ronin cop versus Ronin cop. And we'll see which side of Ronan cop wins there. And then Ramos like, I honestly thought it would be worse this year. I, and I know that's probably selling him short because he is talented, but I thought the swing and miss was really going to rear its head in double a. And yeah, the, the, the production took a bit of a step backwards, especially if you look at WRC plus, cause he's in the Texas league and all that, but he was young for the level. He still hit 19 home runs. He still kept the strikeout rate. If I'm not mistaken below 30%. I, I thought it was all in all like a decent year. I, I thought he actually did better. I thought it was gonna get blown up a lot worse. It's basically the way I'm trying to put this one. So, Ramos is definitely still on the radar, but yeah, not, not the, uh, he's not like Andy Páez, Like some people were maybe hoping when they were first signed and, and when you're, we're getting our early, early looks at the complex from a Jose Ramos.
1: Right. I think this is, we've got Andy Pajes at home and it's Jose uh-huh. Ramos. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what he is. By the way, there, there's no particular order with these. It's just alphabetical by last name.
0: Oh, you actually went alphabetically this time. Yes. Wow. Do you always do that? Cause when I write them in there, dude, I just, I just spray them through. Well, you're always working
1: numerically. Um, I don't know if I've done it previously, but I I started doing it this time, and I felt really good about it because we're not showing favoritism, so I'm going to do it moving forward.
0: There you go. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. So we'll jump into the top 15, and 15 is the guy that the Dodgers just went out and got. And Sweeney – I mean, here's the interesting thing with Trey Sweeney. First-round pick, You know, and and I think when you see a first-round pick who – doesn't have anything that really jumps off the page. Yeah. Puts a lot more pressure on the hit tool. First round pick out of what? Eastern Illinois. Mm-hmm. I always mix up all of those, like those like Eastern, whatever types of schools. Eastern Illinois, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he put up ridiculous numbers there. We didn't get to see him on the Cape. He went off in the Coastal Plains League. He pretty much hit everywhere that he went, but we never really got to see him play against extremely difficult competition. I think the Yankees like the swing. They like the you know the makeup. They like the profile of just a guy that doesn't really have a hole in his game. And so far, he's been solid. I don't know if there's an everyday shortstop there, but I do think that there's a big leaguer there. He's 6'4". There's probably room for a little bit more pop. Uh, that contact rates are average or slightly above. The exit velocities are slightly above average or close to average. Um, then you have decent defense. I think nothing jumps off the page in terms of range or or arm strength or whatever, but it's all fine, and he gets the most out of all of it. And then even when we talk about the speed, the speed's not great, but he swipes bags. He picks his spots to run, and he's maybe a slightly slightly above average runner, close to average. I think it's just solid tools across the board. You don't put him in against lefties, and if you if you filter out his left on left numbers, his offensive numbers were actually really solid last year in Double A. I think it's a bulk platoon, you know utility type that can play all over the infield. And you, know, you realize at the end of the year, wait, wait, he actually got four, 400, 500 plate appearances this year because of the way that he's able to plug and play. I think that's what you could get here with a trace wing.
1: Do you think he can pass at shortstop at the major league level? Like I I'm curious, could he play, could he be that bulk utility guy where it's third, short, second, wherever needed?
0: Yeah. I, you know, I think if it was every single day, I think the the range might start to, you know, the limited range might start to show a bit more. But if he's playing one to two times a week at shortstop, he makes the routine plays. He's super heady. I, that was the interesting thing because that was my big question. I'm like, okay, he's not very, very athletic, but he keeps getting a lot of action at short. How does he make this all work? And from what I see, he always puts himself in a good position. He he reads hops really well. He's always in what seems like the best spot. And that those instincts are hard to teach. Obviously, those are just something that you just have. And I think he has those. And I think that will allow him to, to play at least a big league average shortstop uh, in spurts. He's just a, he was the forgotten man
1: in New York. And I do think that he needed to change his scenery. And it's weird to say that about, you know, first round pick in 2021. But, you know, he was already kind of left in the dust. And with what happened with Volpe and with the drama surrounding Peraza, you're out of energy to exhaust yeah. on the shortstop position. Yeah. If you're the Yankees and if you are the Yankee fan base, all of your eggs are in the Volpe basket. Peraza already got kicked to the wayside. Trey Sweeney is not going to enter the fold. So I do like this trade for Trey Sweeney. I,
0: I do. And it's, it's important shortstop depth, which is really funny because when we talk about the system and, you know, we always talk about trends and what certain systems have. I identified a pitching trend in this system that we'll get yeah. to when we get to the first arm, but And, you know, when we talk about Rockies, it was like bizarre lefty release. We'll we'll always look for different things in in different orgs. I found my trend here. But with Sweeney, you look at what he did against righties as well. 850 OPS against righties last year and about 375 plate appearances left on left, a 560 OPS. So you can pretty much just say, hey, he's not going to face lefties. So that already kind of eliminates that everyday shortstop role that was already eliminated probably anyways. But 104 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity is actually – a decimal point above the big league average and you imagine now that you put this guy in the texas league or i think he might even start the year in triple a i think that power is going to start to to tick up a little bit and yankees fans are going to freak out doesn't mean he's going to be this everyday shortstop at the big league level like calm down it'll be okay but i do think he's going to put up some pretty good numbers because you have above average contact rates you have a guy that hits the ball in the air by the way only a 34 percent ground ball rate He gets into the pull side well and lifts in the air to the pull side well, and he doesn't chase. So I think it's a really sound profile, and I think it's one that's going to play well in those environments. So I could see him putting up some some gaudy PCL numbers as as, you know, Yankees fans start to lose their mind. But ultimately, I think bulk platoon roving infielder type is 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 what makes the most sense. Cool beans. Fourteen guy that you put on my radar Jack uh left-hander Justin Robleski who finished the year in high A 11th rounder in 2021 I mean this is a unique pitcher and I I really struggled to to peg him in terms of where I think he you know lines up and what his because yeah, there's a lot of guys where it's so classic right you say oh if he sticks, you know, if he can improve his command or if he can find a third pitch, he'll stick as a starter. If he doesn't, he could be a good high leverage reliever. We're gonna say that probably three or four times when we yes. get through the next thirteen prospects. But with Robleski, it's he could probably play as reliever, but I almost feel like the the five pitches and the unique delivery and the funkiness and just kind of varying his looks, you know, each time through the lineup plays into his favor. Like I don't know how great he'd be in short spurts. Maybe he'd be good because the fastball would be upper 90s, but I don't know. I like something about the way that he can kind of vary his looks and just be almost a a confusing at bat for guys. It's a fastball that I think is his best pitch. It's a plus heater in the mid-90s. Then you have a slider that I don't know why he didn't throw it more. He throws it 10% of the time, but it was one of his most dominant, if not his most dominant pitch. Mixes in a curveball that was a little inconsistent, but flashed average, a cutter that, Flashed average. And I think the biggest thing for him and the pitch that he ended up using the most was his changeup. And I think it's funny because the changeup, if you read a lot of draft reports uh on him, was change up so far off, probably gonna get scrapped, blah, blah, blah. By the time he got to the second half of the season, changeup was his best pitch. And I'm curious to hear from you, Jack, on like the starts that you saw, because that's when you texted me and said, You got to watch this Robleski guy. The changeup ended up being his best pitch in the second half, and that pitch flashed above average. I'm a sucker for lefties with
1: fastball changeup man. like it it was the fastball takes off like a rocket ship from, I I mean, like he's, he's a shorter guy at six one. He gets down on the mound relatively well. Do you have a release height in front of you? I feel like it was
0: slightly, slightly below the big league average and release height at about 5.8. Big league average is like five nine, but it's, it's also the way he delivers it though, right? Shoulders tilt back. Yep. And the way his arm comes out, it's almost like that slingshot delivery that right. I think makes it appear as if it's lower than it really is. And I think that delivery
1: aids in the fastball changeup in like it almost enhances the look of the changeup because it, it the way I view it is delivery can give them maybe five to ten more feet of perceived fastball. And on that changeup, you've got that tilt. You've got that you know short radius. You've got that slingshot type movement. All of a sudden, the ball's on you. And instead of picking up that it's going to be a changeup thirty five feet away from you, you're picking up that it's a changeup twenty eight feet away from you, and that's all the difference that pro pitchers need. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he was up to ninety seven is is huge for that changeup too. Yeah. I was just fascinated by this guy because he is older for the level. He was coming off at TJ, that's why he was mm-hmm. an eleventh round pick. Yep. there's so much to love here, and I, I think he and so many other pitchers in this organization are just good enough to evade the reliever risk mm-hmm. is that is that a fair assessment like i yeah. think he's just good enough to be pigeonholed into future reliever
0: yeah I, I think so and and that's the interesting thing with this with a lot of these prospects is some of them are going to have to be relievers because you, you got to figure out who's the best you know, back end starter. And then who's the guy that's probably going to profile best in the bullpen. It's not just about who's most capable of starting. It's about who is going to thrive in whatever role to help you win. If you're assuming you're going to keep all these guys, Robleski's the one lefty though, that I do feel like has a really solid chance of starting relative to the other guys. Like he still has to prove that he can go five, six innings more consistently. They were a little bit careful with him in his first full season out off of TJ. Uh, but You look at Ronan Kopp, you look at Maddox Bruns, you look at some of these other guys, like those guys almost have no chance at sticking as a starter. Robleski has a decent shot. I am curious to see how that stuff plays up in double A and see how those hitters perform uh, against him. Again, it's I think that fastball at 94 to 96 grabbing sevens and eights is going to play and it has good shape the one interesting thing is that the extension's not great, but I think the slingshot delivery that we talked about actually, you know, compensates for that a little bit. Finding that changeup was absolutely huge because I think that gives him a way to be able to get righties out. And then off of that, you're just also having that slider and that cutter that he can mix in. It gives him a chance to be able to get hitters from both sides out. So I think this guy could be kind of a five and dive type of starter or, or, you know, capable of a little bit more than that and, this is going to be a year where he could potentially be that next helium guy in this system or, uh, yeah, start to shift more towards the reliever risk type that is still intriguing, but not the big leap that we see with some of the other arms that we're going to talk about in, in, in about a minute here. Yeah. 13, another one of your favorites. I know, I know how much you love your Johnny DeLuca and, uh, I thought he was awesome in his in his big league debut. It was really a fourth outfielder role, and that might be ultimately what makes the most sense for him. But outfielder with plus speed can play all three spots at a high level, good defensive center fielder, good field to hit, just enough power to where if he does hit enough, I think you could say, hey, that that guy's an everyday player. Uh, but if he if he's closer to an average hit tool, then you feel really good about him being a, you know high floor fourth outfielder type that can crush lefties as well. He has really hit lefties well uh, throughout the, I guess, history of of his professional career up since his 25th round selection in 2019. What's interesting is in college, he was a switch hitter. Then they scrapped that. So now just hitting righty, I think he just sees the ball so well from lefties, but has improved drastically against righties as well. I, it was a, I think if you look at his pro numbers, it's an eight. 60 OPS against righties and then like a 943 OPS against against lefties. So he's still got strong splits, but I could see him really being a short end platoon guy that gives you a really good defense in the outfield. And then maybe for a second, third division team, that's probably an everyday outfielder. That wouldn't surprise me at all with the intangibles that he brings and uh, how efficient he is of a base dealer as well. They, They just have a bunch of different, slightly subdued iterations of James Altman
1: hanging around every single year. Every time they have these guys and, you know, like, hey, there's a lot less power, but there's also a lot less whiff in Johnny DeLuca. But it's another guy that's older for every level he's at that has succeeded at every level of professional baseball and a guy that, frankly, was not good at Oregon. He wasn't good. Yeah. And he went later than, you know, he probably should have gone given the tools. Um, but he's a guy that can hit in the high two hundreds. And tell you what, I was really impressed by his 24 game big league cameo this mm-hmm. year. 45 plate appearances, eight punch outs, competitive A.B.s and
0: and sporadic, sporadic plate appearances, too.
1: Yeah. Like he is he is, I think, one of the better fourth outfield options that we've got in minor league baseball right now. I think he's ready to be a fourth outfielder for many, many teams in Major League
0: Baseball. One of them is probably not the Dodgers. And I think there's a lot of teams in Major League Baseball where, again, he could be taking four or five starts a week in the outfield and probably be a better option than some of the teams that are you know, running some outfielders out there that we're going to see this coming season like just just being honest with it especially when you look at the base stealing which I think could be more of a part of his game with the new rules and you know wanting I'm, I'm to shocked him in yeah he's extremely efficient I, I think as a minor leaguer i know i put it in the write up i think he's like 58 of 63 yep, since he 58. since he debuted like yep. that, that's insane like that's incredibly efficient I do wonder if he starts to do that a little bit more uh, as he gets to, to the big leagues and gets more action there, because it's just another thing that he can add to his game and uh, add a little bit more impact. But there's also just enough juice there where I think if, if he were to get thrown into a role where he ends up playing more than, you know, a team may have expected, he's not going to just be a slap hitter. There's doubles power. He flashed a one Oh eight, maybe a one one Oh nine mile per hour exit velocity. That's that's close enough to, to big league average to where, He'll, he'll get his extra base hits. And I mean, man, like, I know hitter friendly environments.
1: Yes, that's always the precursor when we talk about West Coast teams. NL West, we're flying through the NL West and everybody just wants to talk about hitter friendly environments. But like at the end of the day, 22 homers in 101 games in 2021, 25 yep. homers in 98 games in 2022, 17 homers in 73 games in 2023. He's hitting
0: homers. He, like they're mm-hmm. leaving. Yep. No, I mean, there's there's some merit to that. Like, And that's the other thing that the Dodgers do a good job of is they find guys who generate lift. Nota Ryan Ward,
1: like, dude, all yep. these guys. I'm telling you, Altman was that guy.
0: It's like, hey, carry. he's just hitting homers. Yep, it's carry. Like, okay, the, the exit velocities might be average or slightly above, but the power output is plus, a la Andy Pajes. will get there. Like, they, they find guys that can really create leverage and, and be able to get the ball to carry off of their bat and leverage those environments. And sometimes that ends up working out at the big league level as well. Let's go to a more negative side of things, unfortunately. Um, Number 12, Diego Cartaya. I I was, as I was doing this, I was like, okay, how far is this guy going to slip? And every time I was diving into a prospect, I'm like, I'm taking this guy over Cartaya. I'm taking this guy over Cartaya. And then eventually it stopped. It settled at 12. This guy was closer to the number 12 prospect in baseball a year ago, and then the number 12 prospect in his own system. It's it's been a a wild fall. And and I know people are going to ask, okay, why a catching prospect at 22 years old off of one bad year? Why would he free fall so hard? I know it was a really bad year, but but look at what he did before. Look at where he was at. He's a $2.5 million IFA guy in 2018. How does he fall so freely and quickly? I think it was one that bad, and two, a lot of my concerns – have we're all validated last year in like the worst way possible and and i'll get into that in a minute i'll like kick it to you first where are you at because i know this was this was a a, like a aurum led i hate speaking in third person but like like a me (laughs) led slam down the rankings i not that you didn't agree but did you think that this was a pretty far push like was this the floor for you for diego Cartaya? Jack thinks Aram pushed Kartai out of the floor. Um, <laughs>
1: okay. I think that's a hard question. Like, I don't know. Do I, do I take past merit and past credentials and and bump them up to eight? I, I get, he hit a buck 90, punched out 30% of the time. It's, I, I think if we went to trial, And I tried telling you that Diego Cartaya was the seventh best prospect in this organization. And you tried telling me that he was the 12th. You'd be winning because all the data, all the stats, like everything this year backs up your case. So I think you did the right right thing. Yeah. And I I, like it's hard, man, because name recognition in the prospect world at some points is fucking
0: everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of just teed me up. Right. So if I'm making my case here. I wanted to see Diego Cartaya develop defensively. He he did that to a degree. I wanted to see Diego Cartaya stay healthy. He did not do that. I wanted to see Diego Cartaya make some strides with the bat-to-ball skills. Didn't really do that. I wanted to see some strides with the approach. Didn't do that. I wanted to see if the power could tick closer to plus. Didn't do that. Actually regressed. And I wanted to see a little bit more athleticism and mobility, and we went the complete opposite direction of that. I don't like speculating on injuries at all, but you don't see very often a 21 year old, then 22 year old or 20 to 21. It's kind of a little bit in between both. Cause he, he turns, I think then I think his birthday's during the season, but his average exit velocity jo- dropped by more than two miles per hour. His swing. You just look at the bat speed far slower. It almost looked like he was swinging a bat that was 10 ounces heavier. Sometimes or swinging underwater. It was like, Something doesn't look right. And then you you saw him feel that in some of these at-bats, right? Fouls off a fastball where he knows, man, I, I normally hit that. And then it makes you almost want to start it sooner. And now trying to start it sooner, he's going to get these breaking balls and is way out in front. So he went from a guy that was actually hitting breaking balls pretty well to getting dismantled by breaking balls. And I know that it's a big leap from high A to double A, but again, the batted ball data just regressing so badly was one side of it, and then just watching him. Again, just a a swing on a fastball that he normally hits in the zone. You could see the like almost confusion of, why didn't I get that? And then what the subsequent swings ended up being because of that. Like, I need to start sooner. I need to start sooner. And all of a sudden, now the swing decisions are getting worse. And then everything began to unravel. And they never said why his season ended, because they, they said IL, undisclosed reason, whatever. I wouldn't be surprised if they just said, like, hey, let's let's bang it for now. Let's not let these bad habits compound. And let's just go back to the drawing board and come back next year. And also let's get 100% healthy. He's had a history of back issues, said a history of hamstring issues, and, and other things, a hand slash wrist thing. I'm worried that with a nagging back thing, that was part of the reason why they didn't have him playing for more than four days a week in 2022. I wonder how much that could be impacting his explosiveness. He was a rotational guy he was twitchy at before and had that bat speed i wonder if any of those nagging issues have kind of sapped some of that twitch and explosion and i will
1: say i assume yes i assume that some of this is injury related because yeah. we know there's way too much talent in the tank for this type of season to happen for diego cartaya but this is a what have you done for me lately type business would you be stunned if the next time you went through the dodgers system you're putting cartaya at 6
0: no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be stunned at all. If, if, if he got healthy and, and figured things out, absolutely not. But so, also it's a really large sample size here. He's been hurt every single year. This was kind of his quote unquote healthiest year and he really struggled. So yeah, I, th- I think I wouldn't be surprised, but I would be, it would be less likely than, you know, if, if you told me what would surprise you more Diego Cartaya being at, 15 at the end of the year, or, or six at the end of the year, I'd say six. And that's why he's at 12. (laughs) So I, that, if that kind of explains it, I will say though, fundamentally made some improvements behind the dish, Mm -hmm. blocking receiving got a little bit better, but he's still just kind of stiff back there. And the intangibles are a big aspect of why he flew up the ranks so quickly and why he was so highly regarded. Plus makeup commands games really well works with the staff really well. Everything I've read and heard is that he, he, calls games well and is a great battery mate. So that is very important. And that's why I'm not giving up on Cartaya by any means. And this might be a little harsh, but I see still the potential for above average power. Even if the hit tool is below average, he draws his walks when, you know, he wasn't totally going bad. He he does, he is patient, does draw his walks. And he can be an average defender who kind of pushes himself across the finish line with those intangibles. But that's kind of a high-end backup replacement level starter type of catcher. So- What's the path to being a an above-average catcher consistently? Either got to make some big strides with the hit tool, a, a big stride with the with the power. Because, I mean, we're talking about a 90th percentile last year that was below 102. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Or, you know, a massive leap defensively. And I just don't see any of those things necessarily happening. Maybe a little bit of each could get him heading in the right direction.
1: No, I think he's got to look at Francisco Alvarez and say, like, how did you do that? I need to do something like that. Freak big athlete, athlete, big muscle hamster, but like Kartaya could have been a freak athlete. I guess coming into this year I was looking at him as a freak athlete because big catcher that moved well enough, but now I don't look at him as a freak athlete. It's yeah. it just and kind feel, of a bizarre situation.
0: I, I feel for him. It's almost like out of his control. Um and and yeah, just it just seems like a lot of it has to do with getting his body right and that's really hard to predict. So that's why it's it's tough to rank him and I don't enjoy doing it uh but hopefully he bounces back in a big way this coming season and we throw him right back up the rankings and you can say oh it was just an injury and there's nothing better than that when you say oh he's healthy now look how much better he looks and it's simple don't need to dive any deeper than that
1: yeah i'm gonna say something really nice about the la dodgers right now and it's gonna be really corny um you know the saying in uh i i live in indiana so i know the saying but i'm sure you know the saying too it's in 49 other states it's just basketball when it comes to the state of Indiana. Did you know that saying? No. Oh yeah. Like Hoosiers and all that. That's their thing. In 49 other States, it's just basketball. In 29 other organizations, there's patience for Diego Cartaya. But in the Dodgers system, in the best year over year, you get left behind. Yeah. And I'm planting my flag on number 11. And I'm so glad you did it. I'm so glad you put 11 over 12. Cause I think this guy's the truth.
0: Yeah, this was, this was one, this is where I was wondering at how far it was going to fall. And, and, and how far it was going to fall was really determined by less about him sliding and more about Tyron Lorenzo rising. And you mentioned it like this is, this is a guy that really showed out last year. Catcher for now. We'll see. I I do need to put a disclaimer out. Did not really have the ability to grind too much of the catching video from Rancho Cucamonga. (laughs) Like it just there wasn't really good angles. I couldn't see why because you
1: have a life. (laughs) Because
0: no, you have friends or family. It's the total (laughs) reason why I couldn't. That like usually it's just can I get there? Could I find it in one way? Um, I wish I could say that it was for that reason, (laughs) but um, I can tell you this: he's got juice he's got major power from both sides of the plate, Jack. And if, if he can even be a fringy catcher, when I mean, we're talking about like Samuel Basayo and guys like that, I mean, there's, there's a lot more of this palatability I'm making up words to, I like it to the lack of defensive catchers, you know, maybe the not talented defensive catchers that are just maybe good enough to get by a couple times a week, but rake, like I, I think that you're seeing big league teams have a lot more, Patience and interest in those types. And Lorenzo is one of those types. And he's got time to keep getting better behind the dish. And again, I got to do more diving into that specifically. But plus power went off in low A this past season. Crazy EVs for a guy that was 19 and then 20 years old. And the fact that they got him for $30,000 in 2021. Talk about what have you done for me lately? I mean, Cartaya signed for $2.5 million in 2018. Lorenzo signed for 30K in 2021. And there's a chance that the Dodgers may feel the same way about Lorenzo at this point. Like there's there's a very real possibility. And you also have a guy that's a couple years younger than Cartaya, who will start this coming year in high A and could easily catch up to him, you know, with a good year. 90th percentile exit velocity of 106 was one of the best marks in the entire Dodgers organization. Yeah. Really, really interesting there from a 20-year-old. 19, I think, it's season start. Max of 114, a moonshot that he hit from the right side, which is interesting because his left side's actually far better, or not far better, but a full notch better. 997 OPS from the left side, 809 OPS from the right side. There's some swing and miss, but as the season progressed, and remember, this was his first year at full season ball, the whiff rate dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped, and he's extremely patient. 22% chase rate, 16.5% walk rate last year. I think you 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 alluded to it in the beginning, Jack. Who's the Rancho Cucamonga guy with the 890 OPS that could blow? This guy, this is the potential breakout guy that everyone's going to be all over if he can hit enough. And I thought he showed some some reasons to believe that he can hit enough. Here's the thing: it wasn't 890; it was 960. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's, he, it might not be a good enough breakout guy. It might
1: he but, might be too good. But man, like I, Basayo was this good last year? He he really was, and I think this. This guy in 2024 can be Samuel Basayo in 2023. I this is my Basayo candidate. This is my teenager that the world's gonna know about because he's too good to ignore. Um I think he's amazing. Like the the swing is beautiful. I know you watched that, and, and the patience shines through. Like I didn't have that chase data until literally today when I was reading through this article. And you can just tell that he's patient, 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 gets his pitch, boom. And easy he might, takes, right? right. And he might miss the 2 1, but on 2 2, he might still kill it. And mm-hmm. I just, I love that about a teenage guy.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And, and I think it's it's an important point that you make. It's not just that he doesn't chase, it's how easy the takes are. And and when you see the ball that well, and it seems like he's got his moves down and he's in rhythm, that's a guy that I think is going to be able to progress. Pretty well, and I will say, Basayo did have some in zone whiff too at each stop, but he kept that in zone whiff at the same figure everywhere he went. So it just almost felt like a guy that just knew when he could let it eat and then could could lock in and make enough contact in the spots that he needed to. And it seems like Aranzo's built from that same cloth as well, or cut from that same cloth as well. Forty one batted balls, one hundred five plus miles per hour last year is is absolutely ridiculous for a guy that was nineteen at the start of the season and played like what a hundred games or less. So very excited about him. Very interested to see how the high a, and then potentially double a test goes for Lorenzo. Keep an eye out for him. Yeah. We're going to get into the top 10 here in a second, but Jack, before we get to that, we got to talk about Bowman draft 2023 Bowman draft. We've done a couple of different segments. I hope you guys have enjoyed that because the product comes out as we're recording this. It's 4 30 PM, December 11th comes out December 12th. And People are already going hard for the Wyatt Langford autos, for everything else, and chasing a lot of these really, really good prospects that we've talked about in previous episodes. But we finally got a bounty number, like a price on the Tom Brady card in there. And for those who may not know, for those who may have just kind of found this episode uh, from looking for the Dodgers or whatever it may be, Bowman 23 draft features Tom Brady in there. And they wanted to do some sort of promotion with that, which I think is super cool. And basically it's Tom Brady's Montreal Expos picture on a card. And they made a very limited amount. And then there was some unique inscriptions from Tom Brady on different versions of the card. I think the one that he had the inscription of like, if, if football doesn't work out, I'll go to football or something like that. A Tom Brady collector who likes to re- would prefer to remain anonymous said, whoever pulls that card, he has five hundred thousand dollars waiting for you. Just oh. done deal, five hundred thousand on the spot if you pull this Tom Brady uh, inscription card that is in this twenty twenty three Bowman draft set.
1: Man, the hobby, man. Like I, it's I'm telling hobby. you, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the hobby, but that's the hobby to a new level. Yeah, that's so cool because I we're in it for. The prospects, right? Like we're in to go grab that Maui Ohuna out of twenty, and it's like, yeah, I got it. Or out of twenty-five, and I'm like, yeah, I got that. No biggie. Like, let's hope he hits two seventy in the bigs versus the greatest football player of all time in an Expos jersey, and somebody's ready to hand you half a mil
0: for it if yeah. you pull it. It's and it's not even the one of one. It's the out of fifty that is, is viewed as an out of one because he signed it and then wrote, "If baseball doesn't work out, there's always football." Which which is pretty funny. Um, And I think there's one other one that's an inscription that says go Expos in in like French or something. Um, But he had a lot of fun with it. So that's a cool part about it. If you're a card collector that maybe doesn't like to get into the prospects as much, go chase the Tom Brady Montreal Expos card. Or if you're just wondering, hey, I pulled this Tom Brady. I was hunting for, you know, Jacob Wilson. And why do I have this Brady card? Keep it even if Keep it's not it. autographed people Keep people it. are going to want those so if you pull the Tom Brady expose card hold it it doesn't have to be the special inscription half a million dollar one people will want it and uh it's a really cool aspect of what they're doing in in this release so a lot of fun i love to see tops and you know and bowman having fun with it beyond just the prospects and making you know adding another layer of intrigue there i can promise you we will be chasing a bunch of different autos in there in the uh, 2023 Bowman draft tomorrow when it comes out and potentially might be doing a live break at some point on our YouTube channel. So stay tuned for that.
1: Last thing. Do you ever watch the league? Yeah, of course. All right. You remember what this guy said when he got the first pick? (sighs) Um, If you say it, I'll remember. Tim Brady. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah, Tim Brady mother. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so funny.
0: So that's what I I think whenever I I hear Tom Brady, it's just Tim Brady mother (laughs) from a Paul Shear. All-time show. If you haven't seen that, check that one out, too. (laughs) Um, Top 10 time. Mm -hmm. Number 10. Really tough guy to rank as well, but a lot of intrigue, a lot of upside. Maddox Bruns, left-handed pitcher, finished the year at high A, first-round pick in 2021. I mean, you you got three above average to plus pitches here, Jack, but you've also got 30 command. (laughs) So let's unpack it. (laughs) Mid-90s fastball, good life, get Swift's. Slider flashes plus, tough to pick up from that lefty release point. Changeup actually flashes above average, good pitch. Curveball is kind of nascent, and I, I think it'll eventually just kind of be phased out or just be a strike stealing pitch at best. But then you have 30 command, and we've seen starts where just the walks start to, to, to compile and the innings start to cave in on him. And that's my concern with Bruns as a starter is not just the command. It seemed like the bad ending snowballed. You'd see the body language. You'd see the the one or two calls not going his way turn into a walk very quickly and then another walk, and then the composure started to unravel a little bit. But then when he was on, you'd see spurts and say, fastball, slider, changeup, changeup, slider, fastball. All of a sudden, he's giving you these three different looks. He's doing all these different things. He's in a little bit of a rhythm. He's starting to fill up the zone. You're like, ooh, this guy could be a starter. Those were a little bit fewer and far between. But I can't rule him out as a starter yet. I think it's unlikely. I think he's got one more year to try to prove it. If not, they got a really good high leverage lefty relief piece here.
1: He had more starts with four or more walks issued than he did one or fewer walks issued. And it's not like he's going seven every time you know most he went in a single game i think it was five innings uh yeah he went five innings twice other than that it was four innings it was three and two thirds and he had more four or more walk outings than he did one or fewer walkouts yeah. and that's hard to sell as a starting pitcher um snowballing is something that the dodgers can't fix that's something that maddox bruns needs to fix yeah. and that is a tough one for the dodgers to swallow um But if Maddox Brung, and like, listen, he's a young, young pitcher, and he's a really talented pitcher. Um, A lot of pressure. First round pick for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, And, and I think that, yeah, I had a great conversation with Jared Jones about it too because that was a guy that things snowballed on a lot. Like in high A, Jared Jones was not that good because things snowballed, and he was very honest about that. And what every minor leaguer says is, the minor leagues are built to hand you adversity at some point before you get to the big leagues. And this is Maddox Bruns's adversity. Like the ERA's is yeah. not that good at really any level. Um, he's thrown what? 140 innings in his minor league career. He's thrown 146. He's walked 119 guys.
0: Yeah. Like if this isn't a come to God year, I don't know what is. Exactly. But the good news is if it doesn't come together command wise, there's there's a big league arm here, right? The slider is, is nasty in the mid-80s. The fastball would probably tick up to closer to 96 to 98. He could probably side. get a little bit more than that from the left side. And that changeup is good, too. So, I mean, there's he could be a multi-inning reliever. He could be a, a high leverage arm that you throw in the in the back of a bullpen. There's, there's different ways that you can weaponize this 21-year-old if it doesn't work out as a starter. So that's why I still have him at 10. There's just there's just so much value with, with this arm. Yeah, moving into number nine and it's River Ryan, right-hander who finished the year in AAA and I think is knocking on the door of a big league debut pretty early this coming season, depending on what the Dodgers do with their pitching rotation. Eleventh round pick in 2021, and what's interesting is he came out of UNC Pembroke, which is a Division II school, where he was a two-way player. He hit 308 there as as a position player. And then also came in as a closer and, and was really effective as a reliever and closer for them. Gets drafted in the 11th round by the Padres. They had him doing both a little bit. They really just drafted the athlete, see what you got here. And, and he looked even better on the mound. So right as the Dodgers probably catch the attention or Ryan catches the attention of the Dodgers and the Padres are starting to realize, hey, we like him as an arm. The Dodgers go out and they make a move and they go get him. And they pluck him really early, which was an interesting uh, identification there. And and some scout probably is getting a nice pat on the back for that one. But he he looks athletic on the mound. You can tell that he was a shortstop infielder uh, by the way he delivers the ball. It's it's so loose. His arm action is he's got a quick arm. He repeats his mechanics really well, and it's just it's just a smooth delivery. The command I think is going to continue to get better for that reason. But the fastball, man, like the shape's okay. It's not dead zone. It's but it's not great. But it's 96 and a half, uh, averaging up to 99, 100. I think he even touched 100 once this year. Hard slider, good curveball, decent cutter, and then a changeup that's far off. I mean, we're talking about three big league pitches, prob- potentially a fourth.
1: Yeah.
0: A great athleticism on the mound, and a guy that kept runs off the board in two really, you know, hitter-friendly environments. I think River Ryan could be a, either back end of the rotation arm or you put that guy in the bullpen, he's probably he's probably touching triple digits quite a bit.
1: Yeah. And uh, the name River Ryan screams closer like, hey, you're going to go call. So where's number ninety
0: nine? It's almost like he's trying to set himself up to be a closer. He's totally
1: setting himself up to be a closer. But we just heard that Joe Kelly, what is probably in line for number ninety nine. So whatever. Just give it like a year or two. Um, Yeah. I think any other organization we're talking about River Ryan way more this. Yes. But he was so buried on that Tulsa rotation, man. Like he was the fifth most intriguing arm there. It would probably go Sheehan one. You would go Nistrini two. You would go Frasso three or maybe Frasso two, Nistrini three. Um, and then you got Ryan. You had Kyle Hurt there at the same time. You had Knack there at the same time. Yeah, like, I put
0: there, him basically only behind, only ahead of Knack <laughs> out of all of those arms. Yeah. Which is crazy maybe ahead of Nastrini just because of how the fastball started to really tick up. But from a stuff perspective, Nastrini pretty dirty. So it's amazing. And it's a great point because I think on a lot of other teams, you're hearing, oh, can River Ryan be a rotation option for my favorite team this year? River Ryan is one of the best pitching prospects we have, blah, blah, blah. And instead it's, he's not only kind of on the outside looking in, he's, one of several 25-year-olds, and he was one of several 25-year-olds in the same double-A rotation in Tulsa, as you mentioned, and then eventually Oklahoma City. Dude, if if he and Chase McDermott switch places, we're having like the same oh conversation.
1: It's like, oh wow, like River Ryan should be in the Orioles rotation next year versus yes. Chase McDermott. It's like sneaky good year for him.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not a bad, like it, it's a, it's a good point, honestly. And that's the funny thing about it. The slider is really good, and we're talking about trends. Ryan, I think, has one of the best versions of the trend that I see in this system, which is a gyro breaking slider. And that means it's a slider that's breaking kind of downwards rather than having that sweeper action. Sometimes I have a little bit of both for for a lot of the sliders that I've seen in this system. They're hard in the mid to upper 80s with the gyro break. So you're getting whiffs against lefties and righties with that downward bite but you're also getting a lot of weak contact. So he picked up a 19% swinging strike rate, but he also picked up a 55% ground ball rate. So even if you might miss your spot, guys still miss on the top of it and you're getting ground balls. He didn't allow a home run between the Texas league and the PCL with that slider. And it was his second most thrown pitch. So that's a really good sign of a pitch that should play really well at the big leagues. And then the curveball can be a little bit more of a whiff, you know, get you swinging at a ball in the dirt kind of pitch and then a cutter, there that is more of that I think weak contact inducer as well I think I think he has a great chance of sticking as a starter it's more about how the Dodgers want to use him but I I see a a four or five starter but again you put this guy in a pen he's probably sitting 98 and that slider is going to tick up to the low 90s and he's going to be an absolute nightmare
1: yeah no he's got the chance to be I think he's probably one of the first to make the move to the bullpen but He's got the chance to be a really good reliever. It seems I'm
0: with you. Number eight, Nick Frasso. He has ranked as high as inside a top 100 lists. And then, you know, around here in the Dodgers top prospect list. But again, we're not far off from the guys that are on the top 100 list. So it's not like he's that far outside of the top 100, but Frasso, right-hander finished the year in AAA, fourth round pick by Toronto in 2019. Unique dude. He was a, Heck of a basketball player in high school. He's six five. He's a good athlete. He's skinny. He's about two hundred pounds. Struggles has struggled to keep on weight and has really struggled to compile innings. Nagging elbow issues kind of affected him. Even going back to I think first getting to college and then mostly worked as a reliever in college. This was his career high in innings at, at any level, it, whether he was an amateur or a pro. He had never thrown more than sixty innings until this year where he threw ninety three, and Frosso. Get that internal brace procedure done, I think, a couple years ago. Last year was the big step to start really working towards a regular workload. And he did that, but then also had some, some little nagging issues and ailments. And I, we saw the velocity just kind of drop at the end of the year a little bit. And we saw the velocity drop from the first pro look we got at him. When he was drafted by the Blue Jays, he finally – returns, makes his pro debut while recovering from that elbow surgery. And in short spurts, two, three innings, I mean, that fastball was playing like a plus-plus pitch, and that's why you'll see plus-plus grades on it, because he was sitting 96, 97, touching 100 from that funky cross-body release point that he's able to repeat because he's such a good athlete. This inward twist, he fires and the ball almost comes across you if you're batting from the right side, or it comes out of, you know, almost what seems like towards third base if, if you're a lefty. That helps it play up, but when it ticks closer to 93, 94, it's not like it has 20 inches of vert, and it's some big whiff in the zone kind of pitch. It's it's good. It's got good shape. So I don't see that plus-plus heater as long as he's a starter. I see it more fringe-plus, and that's kind of what we saw for the most part this year. But in the first half of the year, he was averaging 95 and change, and then over the basically the last half of the season, it was 93.8 miles per yeah. hour in the fastball. And the other concern for me was the velocity always seemed to wane deeper into the starts. So as we went deeper into it, it's a lot more ninety ones and ninety twos, ninety threes. I wonder if he's just going to be able to stay healthy and and really be able to shoulder a starter's workload. But the flip side is he does have a starter's profile. It's fastball that's fringe plus. It's a slider that's above average, and it's a changeup that's above average. Both of those pitches have flashed close to plus or flash plus and the commands above average three pitch mix six, five righty above average command. Sounds like a starter to me, but I don't know if he can handle a starters workload.
1: Yeah. So velocity sustained throughout a start is something that is, I don't know. I I guess like it's, it's earned by going six innings and the Dodgers I get why they do it. I get why they limit them so much. But, like, you're kind of doing these guys a disservice when they throw two and a third in high A and then they're done and then they throw again in three days. And, that like, it, it's not great in terms of teaching sustained velocity. And, yeah, it's a health thing, but it's also an endurance thing. So, yes, like, Frasso struggled to stay healthy, but you mentioned he nearly doubled his previous high in innings. 54 innings pitched, 93 innings pitched this year yeah like what does one thirty from Nick Frosso look like? Can he yeah. do one thirty? I don't know. The other thing is I want to go back to the mechanics. You watch those mechanics like it's it's hard for me to wrap my brain around them being repeatable, and he repeats them so well because he's a really good athlete and he finds the zone because he's a really good athlete. But if you ask me to get on a mound and like, do your best Nick Frosso impression, Shoot. I'm gonna get I'm hurt all, within ten I'm pitches over. Yeah, I'm falling over. I'm going to get hurt within ten pitches, or every pitch is going to the backstop, and they're either going to be spiked or they're going to be sailed. I have no idea how he does that, but he's so long. He's really athletic. Um, I don't know. I there's just a lot of like. I do a lot of confusion.
0: I, I do wonder if the effort in that delivery, Rex. Right? It's that it's a big wind up. It's an but it's, in what is an effort. effort. I think. It, it's a, engaging. His is you've know, you got to do all those things in terms of engaging those parts of your body. But he really engages them. I wonder if that just like wears him down a little bit. But as I, the start goes on. It's an to, it's a high effort delivery, or at least a high effort. I think it's us. high effort mechanics. I don't know if like when he throws, you're saying, oh, that looks like it's strenuous on the arm, but it almost just looks exhausting and strenuous on the body. But he's moving slowly. Like that's the thing. I don't
1: know how high effort it is for him. He might just be built weird, and like that's what feels normal to him. I will say there are way more guys that throw like Jose Quintana than guys that throw like Alex Wood. One of them yeah. has really clean mechanics. One of them has really repeatable mechanics. The other is like, how on God's green earth are you able to do that a hundred times every five yeah. days?
0: Yeah. No, I'm with you, and I think Frasso ends up settling into. Yeah, he could be that. Like, and I hope he doesn't have the the injury. Bug and issues that Tony Gonsolin had, but there could be that kind of Tony Gonsolin role where you, you just really manage him well. Tight leash. Yeah. You move him in, in different, you know, five and dive spots, relief here and there, skip him in the start here and there and build him up. But I think he's best as a starter because of that three pitch mix and because of the command. So that said, if you put him in the bullpen and we see him in shorter spurts throwing that upper 90s fastball instead and, and the stuff that we saw last year or two years ago, I should say, then he could be another guy that's just a great high leverage arm. So they, there's different ways that they can weaponize him and use him. And at least in, in an emergency, you know that he can plug in the rotation as soon as next year and you know at least make some spot starts. Yeah. Next up, and this was hard. It was really hard for me to separate these two guys. Kyle Hurt. Kyle Hurt, right-hander, got the opportunity up at the big leagues very briefly. It was a one outing up there. It looked really good. Uh, Hurt is that data darling that Maybe the numbers aren't as good as some of the other guys that we've talked about uh, in terms of on the surface, but the data is crazy. And I think it's going to play at at the big league level a little bit better than some of these other dudes. Fastball is nasty. Like it is just 96 miles an hour up to 99. And from a low release point for a 6'3, 240. guys, big dude, seems like he could handle a workload five, six release, which is really low, especially for a guy as big as him and it really just explodes out of his hand between double A AA and triple A he picked up a swinging strike rate of 15% on the pitch he also froze hitters at the bottom of the zone a lot because again that low release point you're expecting it to kind of continue to drop gravity to take care of it and it just stays on a rope and freezes you at the knees he did that plenty of times as well the changeup other than Gavin Stone it's it's the best changeup in the system and it's not that far behind Gavin Stone so you have this low release fastball that just takes off. Then you have this plus plus change up that just really tumbles off of it. He's trying to find that third pitch. I think the slider's better than the curveball. And it's it's been okay through spurts. And I think it could be a fine third pitch. But this could be a guy that goes fastball change up, turns the lineup over once or twice, mixing in the slider just enough. And if the command can at least get to average, I do think Hurt can be a, a five and dive starter that gives you like number four type value with just how good the numbers are in the swing and misses. Can I just say, I'm, I'm shocked that it is an average
1: with the cleanliness of the mechanics. Like he's a big guy that throws like a big guy. And typically it's the big guys that have the cleanest mechanics. Um, Jabba Chamberlain, I think is a good example. And Kyle hurts, not as big as Jabba Chamberlain, like don't get it twisted, but Jabba was so good at repeating the mechanics. I think Lance Lynn is also really good at repeating the mechanics because these guys, they have so much weight that needs to move in one direction. So if you start moving it in two directions, you're going to be behind the eight ball. You're going to sail everything. And I think what Hurt does so well, he's a stronger, he's a a way, I I guess, you know, more lean version of Lynn or Jabba. But he keeps all of his weight in one place and then he fires it in the same direction that he's got to go at one time. And I think that helps with fastball changeup. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a curveball can come off that just because you need a little bit of that whippiness athleticism to, you know, like actually snap off a bender and have it play well there. But fastball changeup is always going to be good.
0: If his mechanics look like that. And, and he's shown stretches. You know, and I think you you bring up a good point also about working towards home plate. Gordon recefo came on the show. A big dude uses used his weight. Well, and like talked about how working towards home helped him see an uptick. Jackson job, not even a big dude. I mean, He's bigger than most human beings. But in terms of some of the guys we're talking about, it's not as much mass moving forward here. He talked about just getting that weight going towards home plate and how how much that helped him. And Hurt seems to do that naturally, as you pointed out. You um, take out a couple of the blow-up starts. He had a couple blow-up outings. He walked seven in one of them. There was a lot of also three, two walks, one walks, and even some zero-walk outings. So I do think that with a slight tick up in the command department, this guy's a back end of the rotation starter. That could be really fun. Next up, and I also think he's probably the most ready to help them uh, at the big league level. Uh, Yeah, he he looked more than ready when he did make his debut last year. Yeah, they just didn't need him, I guess. I I don't know. (laughs) Number six, I know again you probably won't have much on, but it was a really fun dive for me. I did send you a video of one swing. Yoendri Vargas, shortstop that finished the season in the DSL, made his pro debut as a 17-year-old last year, just turned 18. $2 million guy in 2023 in January, and the Dodgers shelled out half of their pool more than half of their pool for him I get why he's 64 180 his hands are crazy like just certain guys their wrists and hands the way that they're able to create bat speed with what seems like minimal effort it's special and Vargas is that what's crazy is he's six four so he's gonna have plenty of you know time to fill out and get stronger and a lot of times those big guys it's more armsy brute strength power, for him, it's wrists and hands. He just generates it with twitch and explosiveness. And then you add in the fact that he could get a little bit more powerful with, you know, his lower half and be a little bit more in sync. And you're like, OK, could dream on plus power here. He already flashed at 17 years old last year. An exit velocity of 108 miles an hour. Then you factor in the fact that the swing already looks pretty advanced for his age. It's it's a little bit of movement. right? He starts it so early, though, that I think he's able to get away with it. Hands pull back really smoothly and it's a gathering leg kick. That's all in rhythm. And he starts it right when the pitcher breaks his hand. So he's basically in a spot really early so that that movement isn't as disruptive. I think there can be an average hit tool here. Plus power. He's got a a, a plus arm. The actions were a little bit eh, at short. We're talking about a 17 year old here, right. but he just wasn't reading hops. Great. I, I would assume that this was a kid that as an amateur had a plus arm is always bigger than everybody else sat back on his, uh, you know, on his heels fielded on, on a backhand and just fired balls. But now it's a little different when the balls are coming at you hundred miles an hour on short hops and things like that. He got eaten up a little bit. I think he can stick it short worst case. If he slows down a step, he goes to third that profile will play just fine at third too. I'm really excited about this kid, Jack.
1: I think his swing is really pretty. That's the only analysis that I can offer you. Like it's, there's something about the way he loads so early and has mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of methodical like bend in the back knee and then he fires forward. Um, He just reminds me of like the classic silky 17 year old that you would see it at those showcases that that clearly wasn't gunning for the exit below. They were like, I'm going to hit some nukes right now. And, yeah. you know, they, they walk out and it's like, yeah, I,
0: I know who I am. He swings like he's confident. In his oh, abilities. yeah. That's for sure. And and that's what stands out is like you could go to that one of those DSL games, not know who's who, and you'd know that Vargas is a dude. You'd know that he's a, you know, a, a seven figure dude. Uh, and I think that's that's something about just the way he carries himself and also just the way his game already makes noise. Uh and and again, six four. So he's got some more room for strength and already producing, you know, some very gaudy exit velocities for a 17-year-old. Go when he's going best, he's going the other way. He can get a little bit spinny at times back can kind of get in and out of the zone a little too quick. Breaking balls were a challenge at times. Okay, he was 17. Let's get him working through the ball a little bit, get him work, working behind home plate, and I think he'll be fine, you know, using the whole field a bit more. And he flashed that ability. I Again, it's, it's hard to tell a guy, hey, you know, let it travel, you know, tr- try to keep the barrel in the zone longer when he's turning around hard stuff inside, pull side 108, and then, also, it's just hitting everything he saw. The numbers in the DSL were, were ridiculous this past year. So yeah. uh, it, I think he's a guy that also could be a big helium player because he's going to start at the complex next year. If he shows out, could see him in Rancho. And he might just keep it in Rancho. No, man. Give me give me a Tyrone Lorenzo. <laughs> Probably. That's the guy. <laughs> we don't need to spend too much time on Gavin Stone. We've talked about him so much on this show. Um, What's that? Stone. What's his best pitch, by the way? Yeah, the wild guess, right? Uh, it, it's the cutter that he added at the end of the season. That's really? The, no, <laughs> it's it's that plus plus changeup that is just disgusting. And we have a clip in there for those that are watching. You can just like you can see it. It's just it's just a sick joke. Uh, it, he gets JP Crawford to just wave at it really uncomfortably, and that's a guy that was really dialed in last year. He got a lot of really good hitters to take bad swings in his changeup. The problem was he couldn't get him to take a bad swing at anything else. Yeah. So they had to figure out how to mask that fastball a little bit more and he had to gain the confidence to stop nibbling and I think how they decided to do that was scrap the four seamer go with a sinker a little bit more started to do that at the end of the year in the PCL that pitch had some success start to favor a cutter a bit more than the four seamer started to use that a bit more that had some more su- success at the end of the season of the PCL now you don't have to worry about nibbling hey instead of I got to attack the zone with a four seamer and, and and hope I get a whiff It's, no, I'm going to attack the zone with a sinker or a cutter and hope I get weak contact. Then I can change the eye level with my four-seamer from time to time, and then the changeup is going to be what puts you away. That seems to be what they're trying to find here, is what's the right arsenal to get Gavin Stone to trust his stuff, to get big league hitters out, and to still not get too far away from who he is, which is diabolical changeup pitchability guy. He got away from that when he lost the confidence in his stuff, And I saw a guy that regained confidence in his stuff when he made some adjustments. And we saw that at the end of the season.
1: Was the adjustment
0: scrapping the four-seamer? It really was to me. It was adding that sinker and cutter usage um, by a good amount. It's it's hard to wrap your brain
1: around what happened to his four-seam fastball at the major league level. Opponents hit 517 against it with a 930 slug. 930 slug. So that's probably what a fifteen hundred OPS, sixteen hundred OPS. Man, that's that's absurdity. He allowed th- twenty eight batted ball events, nine singles, three doubles, three homers. He allowed three homers on the four seamer. He got one strikeout on the four
0: seamer. Like it, it's I just mean, he lost he lost a mile per hour and lost an inch of induced vertical break. Yeah. So like it, it was already like average fastball, and then now you lose shape and velo. That it's going to be tough. And then that's why I think you pointed it out. I think it became abundantly clear, clear very quickly. Okay. This pitch isn't going to fly yeah. or actually it's going to fly too much. At the right. big league level. So what do we do here? And it seemed to be that the cutter and that, that sinker that started to, to bring him some success and over his last 10 starts, this includes the big league outings as well. He threw the sinker 20% of the time. Held opponents to a 150 batting average when he went to that sinker. If you include the minor leagues and the big leagues, 69% ground ball rate. The challenge is change up, downward action, sinker, downward action, cutter. You know, it's going to be a little bit more horizontal. So you still want to mix in that four-seamer, but you want to change eye levels with that. You don't want to try to get back in the count with that because with that fastball, trying to get back in the count ended up meaning that it was going deep into the seats. So now he has different looks and guys can't just sit dead red on a flat, you know, straight arrow fastball. I think he's going to get a, ch- a chance this year, and I think he can be a solid four or five for them. I still, I still think with this unique you know, change in the arsenal, I think there's going to be some blow-up starts, but I then when he's locked in and he's hitting his spots, he could also get you a lot of strikeouts too. I, I still see a four or five here, uh, and I, I feel pretty confident about it. This
1: is the last pitcher that we're talking about. Um, so I ask you, what does the rotation for the L.A. Dodgers look like this coming year? I feel like there's gonna be guys that they haven't even gotten yet, right? I mean So let's say a free agent or a trade, Bueller,
0: Bobby Miller. Yeah. And then we got for argument's sake is Kirsch back? Uh
1: after the all star break. Okay. Shoulder surgery. Sheehan. Okay.
0: And then they're gonna sign somebody. You think they signed two? What about Pepiot? Pepiot's ahead of these guys too now. Yeah, I would think Pepio. So That's it. Walker, Bobby, my- Pepio, Sheehan, and then a free agent signing, and maybe two free agent signings, and one of those guys is plugging in and playing. Yes. Uh, a couple of these guys got to get moved, man. Yeah, I think so. Because all of them are so close to ready, and they're all 25. And Sheehan's better right now than all these guys, and Pepio's better than all these guys right now. I think. I think one of the. I think one of the guys. Blech, I think
1: one of the guys in the top f- four is going to get moved as well, and I'll I'll say that when he comes up.
0: Okay. We move into number four, guy that we also don't need to talk that much about because we've talked about him so much, so many times on so For many episodes. three years, you've talked For, about him on forever. Locked
1: On Prospects. Yeah, yeah he's,
0: <laughs> I, I literally think so. Michael Bush, second baseman, some stints in the MLB last year, finished in in AAA. Powerful bat, walks a ton. Max Muncy light is what I always call him. And I think with that blend, he's got a really high floor. The question is, you know, how much power is is he going to hit for? I do think that he benefits from the PCL, which, okay, yeah, but he's a good hitter and he hits the ball in the air and he does hit the ball hard. I don't think it's plus plus power. I think it's closer to 55 than it is 65. So we'll say fringe plus power in the raw department and probably above average game. I think that's the challenge here is it might be closer to 20 to 25 homers in in a a big league season. And then you really need him to hit in the the bat to ball department, right? He's got to be hitting 250, 260 with those walks to be, the everyday player that you want because you're not going to get a ton of value with you know, the defense. So that's the thing for me is he is a little bit of a tweener because the, the raw power is not you know, jumping off the page the way some might think. When you think of a of, of, a profile, like Bush. Yeah. Like Muncie that the raw power is jumping off the page, but yeah. Bush does translate it into game power. And maybe he'll always just be able to do that. So does the, does the raw power
1: for Julian jump off the page too? Cause I know we've talked about Julian and Bush being very, similar. I thought it did a little bit more. Yes. And the patience is way more apparent for Julian yes. than it is Bush. Um, yeah, I I'm just curious where his defensive home is. Like, is he going to be a below average second baseman? Is he going to be a average to below average third baseman? Is he going to be a first baseman that moves? Well, it is, I think a similar defensive conversation to Louisa rise, who was playing a lot of first base in Minnesota. And now he's playing second base in Miami. And like you're watching him, and you know, he's fine. It's passable. Yeah. So is the bat good enough to make that happen? Or Rise hits 360. Bush is not going to do that.
0: That's the thing. It's And that's where it gets into the tweener stage where it's yeah. like, okay, Julian's getting on base at a 380 clip or something and hitting 20 to 25 homers. I think the power output game-wise could end up being similar because I think Bush has a better feel to get into it in games. Julian, just a little bit more raw, yeah. raw power. But Bush is also a little bit better defensively as well. Uh, so, but Bush is playing a lot of first base at the end of the year. And, and I do wonder if that's you know, where he ends up seeing some action Dude, and up like just kind of roving around a little bit, uh, whether it's with them or someone else. I don't
1: he, know. He kills me because um, I've, I've talked to him before. I did an interview with him before, and I, I really like him as a guy and he's too good to be in the minor leagues, but he's not good enough to correct the Dodgers lineup on yeah. an everyday basis. No, or even in no. platoon basis right now. So he is, He's an 11 and a quarter shoe, like pick one, 11 or
0: 11 and a half, please. Yep. I'm with you. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but that said, he's an above average big league bat. And you know, there's a lot of value in that. And hopefully he gets an opportunity to show that somewhere else or, you know, jumps into an opportunity with the Dodgers. Yeah. Number three, Andy Páhez, another guy that we've been talking about forever and we're probably higher on him than others. And, That's because I think he's as good as anybody at getting into game power. For those watching on YouTube, here's a perfect example of such where, I mean, he is just a demolisher of anything left up in the zone. Then beyond that, he will golf balls out of there. I think that the one area is like if you get it to the top, 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 like a lot of hitters, it'll be the blue zone. But if you hang anything, he's going to crush it. If you try to blow it by him inside, he's going to crush it. And he just seems to always hit the ball in the air. He was off to a fantastic start to the season and then got hurt. Uh, I think that's the really frustrating thing is I think he was really going to burst onto the scene. This is a guy that I've always been you know, a big fan of that I think has suffered from prospect fatigue as well. Uh, that just seems to be comfortable in the corner where his arm absolutely plays. Uh, he's more than fine out there. He was once playing center field. I don't think they're going to do that anymore, but I think he's an above average or at least Solid defender in right field or left field, I think above average. And then you you see what he was able to do in 2023, which was his second stint in double A out of the gate. His disappointing year was a 102 WRC plus in 2022, by the way, where he hits 26 home runs and only strikes out at a 24.5% clip. The exact clip he struck out at high A the year before is a 20 year old. So I thought this was going to be his breakout year. Uh, like on another level, I know that it was a breakout year, quote unquote, when he hit 31 home runs in high A, but I thought it was his time to do it in the upper levels and prove, hey, that swing and miss, it's not a problem. He started to do that through the first 33 games, extremely productive without hitting a ton of bombs. three homers, but a ton of doubles, 12 of them, a triple, getting on base at a 430 clip, striking out at a 22% clip, gets up to triple A. they promote him because of how good he was, and he gets hurt in the first game. Yeah. And, and we didn't see him for the rest of the year with that shoulder issue. So he's going to start the year again, this coming season in triple a, a guy that lifts the ball a bunch in that environment. He's going to ball out in triple a, we're going to try to find a spot for him. I don't know where it's going to be, but I think he's got 25 to 30 home run potential. I think he's above average defender in a corner. And I think he's going to walk. I, I don't know why people are not more excited about Andy Páez. I really don't know. I'm going to say it take away the stolen bases.
1: Cause this guy went 30, 30 in the minor leagues. There's so much Jock Peterson and Andy Pajes. Like I, the Dodgers brass needs to look at Pajes and be like, wow, this is very similar to what Jock did. And I, I want to run you through Jock's minor league numbers and Pajes' minor league numbers. And the ones that jump out to me, 465 minor league games for Jock. He hit 297. Pajes is not going to do that. Um, 114 bags. Pajes didn't do that, but 88 doubles, 87 homers, 281 driven in. Pajes in 401 games, 97 doubles, 89 homers, 284 driven in. 220 walks, 420 punch-outs. Jock Peterson, 280 walks, 430 punchouts. It's very similar, the counting numbers, through a comparable number of games. So I, I need... Dodgers fans to realize that this is a kid that just turned 23. Like this week, he yeah. is Andy Páez is 23 years old in three days. Happy belated birthday, Andy Páez! Um, what he's doing is very similar to what Jock did in the minor leagues,
0: and and this is with losing a year where I think he was about to go nuclear. So I, I'm I'm excited, and I think that's a great comp too. Like if they get something similar to that. Be really and, and it's
1: a bigger guy that can survive in center field if need be but probably better in a corner like that is yep. Jock.
0: yeah and, and I think could probably be a better defender than Jock is you know has become in the outfield maybe for hopefully longer but I, the way you can get into the game power the field to hit uh, the approach all of those things it seems like he was continuously heading in the right direction and I think he's going to have a big year if that shoulder you know doesn't have any lingering issues going into this season love the swing really stood out to me in the AFL. And being able to get an up-close-and-personal look there, that's where I, I really fell in love with the game of Pajes. Yeah. Number two, Dalton Rushing. Rushing did not quite have the season, we thought, because of a low in the middle, which ended up, I think, being largely due to a concussion and the lingering effects that he was dealing with with that. Uh, then came back and, and looked good at the end of the year. Rushing has is, is turned into one of the best prospects in the system, obviously, at number two. If you ask some, maybe the number one second round pick in 2022, part of that lineage of of Louisville catchers that have just been so good with the bat specifically. And I think with rushing, you're looking at above average hit or at least average hit with above average on base skills, above average power, and just a sweet swing from the left side. It's going to be interesting to see where his long-term home is defensively, but I think he could at least be an average defender at catcher and then maybe you could throw him in different spots. I think he's athletic enough to get by in, in, in left if you wanted to try to figure that out. But what I like with rushing is the above average hit, the above average power, the ability to get into it in games, and I think just a really sweet swing from the left side. You ready? Yeah. Tampa is good in pretty much
1: every facet of their team except for the catching depth. Francisco Mejia was moved. Christian Bethencourt was moved. Right now they're star- their catching tandem on opening day is Renee Pinto and Alex Jackson. They have nobody in the minor leagues. How much more do the Dodgers have to give besides Dalton rushing for Tyler
0: Glass now? I don't think much. At all. Right? I, mean, I think a lot of a lot of the industry really love rushing. what stands out the most, I said like pretty good ability to get on base. I think elite ability to get on elite base. Elite
1: ability. What He's what? 14% he was
0: chase rate. chase rate. Yeah. Like with, with average contact skills, like that's going to make that hit tool play closer to above average. And again, I think the swing is like a really key part in this. I think the contact rates will only improve. He starts with this really simple, comfortable setup stacked in the backside uses a toe tap for timing that he starts early. And it just seems like he sees the ball so early because of that. He has his rhythm. He doesn't get out of it very often. And again, like able to leverage that power pull side and catch balls out front that he knows he can do damage on, but also has the wherewithal and the ability to stay back and shoot balls the other way. He uses the whole field pretty well, and he's he's not going to give you any free strikes. So from that lens, the bat alone is going to keep him in the top 100, and I'm excited to see what he does in the Texas League and beyond that, because even with that concussion lull and those things, he still produced an 891 OPS last year. I think he was far better than that. Uh, Exit velocities are, are well above average. I do think the power could trek closer to plus if he continues to mature in the, at the plate here.
1: There are very few top 100 prospects that are trade bait this offseason or that are expendable via trade this offseason. A lot of top 100 prospects are on teams that are you know, making their way. I feel like now more than other years, there are a lot of prospects within our top 100 that are on rebuilding teams. Yep. The Dodgers, that's not really the case. And, and rushing is, I think, consensus. Where do we have rushing? We, we've we got him in like the 50 to 60 range. Yeah, I think. 50 to 60 range. I think he's a consensus top 60 prospect. He's a top 10 catching prospect in baseball. Um, I, I think that the Rays and the Dodgers are a, a trade made in heaven with Glassnow coming to L.A., rushing going to Tampa. But, you know, rushing can be the headliner and not much else needs to be added in order to go get a Dylan Cease or a Corbin Burns. And it's clear that the Dodgers love Will Smith. Like you already have your Louisville catcher and you have two more years of control of him. You might extend him. We'll see what happens. Um, I think there are enough catching prospects that could pan out in this organization. Um, If not, they can go pay a catcher on a two-year deal, three-year deal or a six-year deal for Smith. But man, like, based on the excitement that you've got from Lorenzo, if you still have confidence in Cartaya, this is the best trade chip you've got.
0: Yeah, and, and I think he could head on package for Cease or, yeah. or for a lot of different guys. And just finishing up before we get to number one on yeah. what really stands out to me when he got right and the way he finished the year. Last 20 games, if you include the postseason, he hit 292, 446, 754, nine home runs. In his last 20 games yeah. of the season, many of those postseason games, the guy went off because he was got himself right, got himself health, healthy, and proved that, hey, okay, yeah, there was something going on. That's why I had that little slump. I mean, it was like an 0 for 30 stretch, and then finishes a year like that, 18% walk rate in that span as well. I, this guy's going to go nuts this year, too. I really think so. Yeah. Number one, I think we've got to be the only people who have this guy as the number one prospect in the system. But de Paula if you're watching on YouTube right now, tell me this is not the coldest swing and just <laughs> bat flip and pimp you've ever seen. de Paula we knew he'd have the swagger because he's related to Stefan Marbury. But, I mean, this guy, his swing is as pretty as they come from the left side. He is super projectable. I mean, so much room for strength on his frame. He's running zone contact rates and overall contact rates in the plus territory already as a 17, 18-year-old, which is really amazing as well. He was one of the most polished guys in the the complex, and then was like, okay, how does it look in low A? The power didn't quite translate the same way just yet, but the hit tool still looks comfortably plus. I have a 70 on the hit tool potentially, and I understand why the Dodgers gave this guy $1.5 million in 2021. I think he's going to get to the big leagues relatively quickly. I should probably update that ETA. I think he can get there by 2026. He's a good outfielder, like good enough. Like He moves well. I think he could be a comfortable left fielder. But what really stands out to me is how simple, quiet, and smooth his moves are, how he already has everything so connected within his swing. His load is rhythmic, but also is so in tandem with his lower half. He doesn't need much to get into that power, and he still balances these flashes of power with a good feel to hit that I think he's going to continue to get better at leveraging the power that we've seen 110s already. I think he's capable of 113s as he continues to fill out, but he's still so loose and adjustable, and the bat lives in the zone forever. This guy's going to blend plus hit or better with, I think, average, at least average power, maybe above average, And I think he could end up being one of the best offensive prospects in the sport. So that swing that was
1: gifified is one of two homers that he had this year in Rancho. And the fact that he got into one of the two homers like that is really impressive. This isn't a guy that slaps it alley to alley and then this one just, you know, crept over the wall like this is happening. What's the ground ball rate like? I don't have finger was
0: 47% last year. And I think that will continue to drop as he just gets better at controlling his body and, and just get more comfortable at, you know, creating leverage and, and lifting the ball. But I think this was also a kid that was, was what 17 years old at the start of the season. Yeah. Just trying to survive in Rancho and, in a full season ball and and did that. Yeah. And he I succeeded. think that Homer was 108, by the way, you <laughs> 17. Yeah. Against, against grown men, full season ball. Runs a chase rate of twenty percent too.
1: It's not if he starts lifting. When he starts lifting the ball consistently is when he becomes a top ten prospect in the game.
0: And I'm I'm ready for it. And we we've got him higher than anybody. I think we've got him as a top thirty prospect overall. I I really think that the Dodgers have something special here as he continues to tap into a little bit more juice. He already hits lefties well. He's already put up good numbers against breaking balls uh, relative to a lot of hitters his age. He handles velocity easily. He doesn't chase. And the power is going to keep ticking up. Even if it if the power is fringy, he could still be a 275, 280, maybe 300 hitter with the bat to ball and, and, and approach that he has and give you an 800 plus OPS. So I, I think there's a lot of different ways for him to achieve that 800 to 800 plus OPS that doesn't all rely on power, which is why I feel like there's a lot of outcomes here that are all above average big league bats. That i feel really confident about the 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 potential for him but all of the ranges of outcomes there's a lot of positive ones even if it's not the hundredth 95th 90th percentile outcome there's a lot of different ways you can be a good hitter and enough batted balls that make you salivate over what's to come i can't wait yeah we knew the dodgers were always gonna go long so this was one of our longest maybe ever so we won't keep you much longer If you're still listening by now, uh, a reminder that we'll be breaking a bunch of other stuff down this week. A lot of different content episodes. We're going to do a redraft coming up very soon. We're going to finally break down that Juan Soto trade that had a a lot of exciting players and prospects heading over to San Diego. And we'll always continue to keep you up to date on everything you need to know about those prospect returns that you have going down in all of the trades that we're going to get this offseason. As always, thank you for listening. If you could take a second to leave a rating, help us grow the show, that would be fantastic. If you want to buy some just baseball merch like my hat right here, you have the episode in the link description to help support us. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking prospects with you on Wednesday.